Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Today, it's my honor to, to, to welcome David Parks. Uh, David is a missionary. I met him uh, 10 years ago, I guess, in Illinois. I think we met somewhere in Illinois at one point, and then you came out here. But uh, David uh, is, uh, has, has been pastoring. He planted a church in Bristol, England. He's going to tell you more about that. But, you know, what I love about this brother is, uh, I, and I share this with him in between services, is one of the values that we have around here is authenticity. And some of you know that. We really want to be just authentic. Obviously, it should be a value for everybody as a follower of Christ, of course, but we want our ministry, we want how we do things around here to, to feel authentic, to not feel contrived, to not feel manufactured, but to feel like this is, this is really who we are, right? This is the good, the bad, the ugly. You get to see it, right? And, uh, and after, after he spoke in first service, I just walked up and affirmed and said, man, it was such a blessing to have somebody come and just, just share their heart with us and be very real and authentic. I think you're going to really enjoy uh, David Parks, and uh, let's, let's give him a, a big welcome. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to be here this morning. Back in uh, where I was, like you said, 10 years ago, I was here and uh, came here and uh, had a dream, had a vision to plant a church in Bristol, England. Had I ever been to England, really? No. Did I know anybody there? No. Did I know how it was going to work? No. But uh, God had put a dream in our heart to plant a church. And so this morning, I get to tell you that story and get to show you some pictures of what uh, we did in England. But it's bigger than just what we did. It's what you did. Uh, We couldn't have planted this church. The things you're going to see, the story I'm going to tell, couldn't have happened without your generosity, without your giving. And I just want to put a little plug in for Convoy of Hope uh, that you partner with. Last Wednesday night, I was in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, at the church First Assembly of God in Fort Myers, Florida. My, my plane left Thursday night late, so I had a day. So I went down to Fort Myers Beach and uh, had a, a, a great uh, seafood dinner right there in front of the pier. And then a few days later, I see that it's all wiped out. The restaurant I was eating at is gone. I mean, there's nothing left of it. The pier is 95% gone. And then, uh, I think it was yesterday, I saw Convoy of Hope, uh, a Facebook post, where it really was a convoy. I mean, it was, it was trucks, it seemed like, for as far as you could see, uh, coming down into Florida to help those people. And so, Really, uh, what you're doing for Convoy Hope makes a massive, massive difference. It just kind of touches me that I was just there. And they were probably already staging and getting things ready because they they knew it was going to come somewhere in Florida. But uh, just to see that. And so thank you. And the the first assembly God in Fort Myers is kind of the staging point for food distribution and all of that kind of stuff. So thank you so much. What you're doing when you give to kingdom builders, isn't just, um, you know, a lot of people have an idea that church is Sunday morning, you know, what you see here Sunday morning and maybe a life group or maybe a couple other things, but really the effects and what this church is doing is having, is working all over the world, all the time zones, even when you're sleeping, 
what this church is doing through your kingdom builders, giving and prayer is making a difference. So in England, five time zones away from here, they were already Sunday afternoon. They're already enjoying their Sunday afternoon uh, nap. But what you've done uh, in, in helping to plant that church there is still having an effect. So just gonna, who wants to hear a great story, right? Who wants to hear a good story about what, what God's doing in a difficult place? I mean, I'll admit, England's a difficult place. 3% of people go to church. The majority of people are apathetic towards church and towards God. And then there's the group that is anti-church and anti-God that uh, we have to deal with. But um, this is my family. Uh, they were a lot younger when we went 10 years ago. But we, we went over to England to Bristol. And Bristol is two hours west of London, the city of a million people, and uh, started working with some other church planters. And then this poor little small church, this opportunity came up, and um, there was no one to lead it. There were five people left in the church. They were going to close it, sell the building, and, and, and do whatever. But they gave it one last hope. They said, well, we'll give it to the American missionary and see if he can do anything with it, you know. No one else seems to be able to help this place. We'll see if he can. So we, we named the church Life Church because we heard that's the best, those are the best churches in the world are, are called Life Church. <coughs> so we thought we'd go with that. And um, we, this is the way we started. So 2013, there we were in our poor little building. There were five people, a part of the church. Our family showed up, which um, made it 10. So we had 100% growth on the first Sunday. Uh, great missionary story. I should have just closed the doors right then and said, you know, but um, wrote the newsletter back to the States. But this is the way we started. And we put the big tables out and tried to fill up the room, make it look like there was something going on there. But uh, Easter 2014, we had 32 people uh, for Easter. And we were just, uh, I mean, that was like a high point for us. We were so excited. God was moving. And then Easter 2015, 64 people. So pastors always know how many people are in the room, how many are in attendance. But so I remember that number well, 64 is a record high moment for us. And God just began to send people and the church began to grow. People were getting saved. People were getting baptized. This is right before COVID. This is the way the church looked. Completely packed, uh, every seat full. We had the ushers trying to scoop people in and all that kind of stuff. But this was, this was just half of the church. We had two services that were completely full, and we were trying to figure out how to do what you're doing, how to do three services, or to try to find another location. Uh, we were, you know, uh, it was just, it was complete, God was moving in such an awesome way. So this is what you helped to accomplish in, in Bristol, England. So thank you so much. Those people, if they could be here this morning in their British accents, they'd be saying, thank you for sending the parks. Thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for, for uh, allowing us to come and to see this church uh, 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 be planted. So things can happen, okay? You know, you can hear all the negative stories about, about England and about Europe. And, you know, much of that is true. I wish I could tell you this was happening everywhere, repeated over and over and over again. And there are little bright spots here and there, but the majority of the church in England is still on a decline. Over the last 50 years, it's been in steep decline, and it, it still continues that way. So um, that's England, that's, that's much of Europe, much of Western Europe. So if there's something you can pray for, pray that God would move in, in Europe, in Western Europe, in a real and powerful way. And... Um, 
it's going to take something quite different. These, the, the people in Europe are educated. They're wealthy. Um, they've heard all the arguments against Christianity, and then they've had the experience of the abuse of Christianity in churches that, that have not been uh, what God really called churches to be uh, over the centuries and over the decades. And so there's a lot of hurdles to overcome. But this is proof that we can overcome that, that God can move in people's hearts, in people's lives one by one, and we can see lives changed and churches uh, be planted. So our, our vision is to go back and to do that again and then also take the experience that we've had and to help others. So if you want to know, well, well why should I continue to, to be a part of Kingdom Builders? It's to see more churches planted. And as good as this is, this is one congregation, but really to inspire church planters because, you know, when there's a lot of failure and things are, are going bad, sometimes everyone just gets the idea, well, this is just the way it is and there's, there's no hope. Uh, but this is, we did a lot of inspiring British pastors to say, you know what, there can be, there can be more. So uh, thank you so much for supporting us. So not quite the end of the story. We, uh, we had COVID in, in Europe. Did you guys have COVID here? Was that a thing? All right. I take it by the laughter that it was. Um, we were online for 14 months. 14 months online only uh, services. And, um, you know, when they told me 21 days of, of lockdown, my heart just sank, you know. This man of faith and power, you know, standing in front of you, the great missionary, they told me 21 days, I thought, oh, What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to the people? What's going to happen to the giving? You know, all those things. But after those 14 months, the church was still there. We put, uh, we, we went online. I spent a lot of time in front of a camera. Um, we, we did our life groups uh, online. We put a sign on our door that said, the, the building may be closed, but the church is always open. And so we kind of changed our mentality from just a Sunday morning to, and you can, you can be a uh, part of church anytime. You can watch us online, you can YouTube or Facebook or whatever. Um, our life groups are meeting all through the week, uh, different youth and different, we tried kids groups meeting online, but that was a little, uh, but um, anyway, um, we had a lot of questions about that. Because in the British mindset, the, the church is the building, the physical structure. And, uh, you know, always interesting. I tell a British person, they ask you, what are you doing here? I say, oh, I'm, I'm planting a church. I'm starting a new church. They look at me like, an American's coming over to England, and he's going to build a big stone cathedral with stained glass windows that's going to be empty uh, all week. Does not make any sense? So, so I try to explain what I'm talking about with church. And, oh, oh. You're, you're, you're one of those happy, clappy churches. I see that. So if anyone asks you what type of church, I can qualify now this church as a happy, clappy church, okay? So you are a happy, clappy church. And, uh, and so, yeah, we started a happy, clappy church. So there you go. Um, so this is how this happened. Churches in, in America supported us uh, with their, number one, with their prayer. And that's the most important thing you can do for your kingdom builder partners and missionaries is to, is to pray for us. All, none of this would have happened without the power of the Holy Spirit. All those people you see in that room, God had to touch each one of their individual lives and speak to them. We could have all the strategy. We could have all the money. We could have, you know, the team, people. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, um, none of it would have happened. And so that comes through through prayer. So 
we're asking you to continue to pray for us. Secondly, um, in giving. And um, everywhere I go, uh, I talk to pastors and they talk to me about their missions giving in their church, a kingdom builder program, uh, whatever they call it. And they say the same thing to me everywhere. If everyone in our church participated in some way, our giving would, would double. If, if, if everyone gave five or 10 or individuals or families would give just something and everyone participated, our missions giving would double. We could do twice as much to reach the world if everyone would just do a little bit. And so that's my encouragement to you um, is to do something towards this. Start small. If you have to start small, start small and see how God blesses and how God provides. And you'll, you'll see that, that, you know, you really don't miss that. When you see pictures like this, the pictures of a, a church being planted in England, you can say to yourself, wow, I had a part in that. I was, I was a partner in that. So there's people here this morning that see that picture and say, wow, I had a part in that. And there are people that are saying, I wish I could have had a part in that. So no arm twisting this morning, okay? No guilt trips about how much you spend on dog food or anything like that. This is an invitation. Really, I see it to participate in missions and, and giving and, and being a part of this, building the kingdom around the world. It's an invitation, what an awesome privilege to be able to be a part of this. So I'm inviting you, okay? This is an invitation to participate in what God's doing around the world. And then the third way is just um, by being a missionary yourself. And I really believe that every single person has their own mission field. Now, mine is going over to England and planting a church. And um, you say, well, I can't do that. I can't go over to England. Maybe you're right, but... I can't go to your family reunion. I can't go into where you work or go into your school or you know, uh, talk to your neighbors over the fence or whatever it may be. That's your mission field and that's where God has called you to. So I encourage you to get out there into your mission field and see what, what, what God's gonna do in that. Well, this morning I wanna uh, open God's word and, and, and share a little uh, message. And the title of the message is Turning Dreams into Realities. And so the reason I'm talking about that is that we came to churches like this eight, ten years ago, and we told people about a dream that we had, a dream to plant a church. Now, I had never, been, like I said, never been there before, didn't know who we were going to work with, how that was all going to work, but we knew that God had called us and given us a dream. I went to some churches, not this church, I'm sure it wasn't this church, but some other churches somewhere where people came to me in the foyer and said, that'll never work. England, you know, British people, they're not going to listen to Americans. Uh, God is for, and we, I had people say God's forsaken them. They've had their chance. They've had their opportunity. The, the most discouraging ones were British people, actually, that had immigrated and moved to America, telling me it'll never work. But God gave us a dream and a vision. So you see the evidence of what happened and it became a reality. And so I want to share that kind of that journey and that story with you. So first of all, I guess the first question is, do you have a dream? Have, has God given you a vision? Is there, is there a dream? Is there a hope that God's placed in your heart for your future? I think uh, it's interesting. I saw, uh, watched your sermon last week. I don't know if you watched it. You should watch it if you haven't. But uh, Pastor Rich was talking about how 
by the time you're 25, only about 2% of people really um, are more or less thinking for themselves, I guess, or really divergent from the norm. And I think that's because there's a whole lot of pressure from, from the world and from the society that we live in and just to be normal, to be like everyone else. But how me know that God's dream for you probably isn't all that normal, that it's something extraordinary, that it's something special, it's something for you. Maybe God wants you to start a new career, start a new ministry, get a college degree, write a book. Maybe God's dream and vision for you is to raise your kids in a godly family that you were never raised in. I don't want to put too many thoughts in your mind because I look across this room and I see that every single person here, there's a dream that God has for you and it's absolutely unique for you. Now here's the danger. If you don't have a dream for your life, someone else will. If you don't have a plan, someone else will. The advertisers, how many know advertisers have a dream for your life? They have a vision for how you're going to spend your money and spend your time. Social media, got a dream and a vision for you. Family, maybe well, well intentioned, loved you absolutely to death, but maybe their dream for you and their plan for you isn't God's dream and God's plan for you. The politicians, election time is coming up. And the politicians, they have a dream for you and a vision for you and what you should believe and who you should be. Your boss has a dream for your life. But what's God's dream for you? How do you know if it's God's dream? That's a big question that I, we had a lot of university students in our church in in England and this topic came up a lot. How do I know what God wants for my life? Number one, it has to require faith. For it to be God's dream, it it can't be something you can say, well, I I can do that. Yeah, no problem. You know, I got this covered and it's a big dream. It requires faith. It's individual. It's tailored towards you. God's dream for you is not like anyone else's. God's unique plan for you is, is not like anyone else's. It's tailored specifically for you. And number three, it stirs your soul. It's something that uh, may ignite your mind, but there's a deeper level of God's dream for you that stirs something deep inside your soul. John 10.10 says this, the thief is only here to steal, kill, and destroy, and I came so that they would have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. A warning here. When you say yes to God's dream, everything and everyone and all kinds of stuff is going to come and try to steal that away from you. And you need to hold on to that. So how do you find God's dream? Just real quickly, here are some quick little things that, that you, can, you can kind of mark down to figure out what God's dream is for you. What are you good at? What are you good at? We, I had this conversation with many, many of our university students, our young people. What are you good at? What are the things that God's talent you and gave you? Secondly, what are you passionate about? God's not going to give you a dream that you, you know, I don't really care about that. God's going to give you a dream that you're passionate about. A great source of information about what God's dream to help confirm it is what other people are saying about you. Man, you're really good at that. You're really good at, uh, you know, really playing guitar or you're really great with kids or you're really great with youth or you're, you're an amazing writer. I mean, that's a, that's a great hint into what God may be calling you to and the dream that he has for you. What gives you joy? I really believe that God's dream for you is going to bring you joy. 
God's not going to call you into something miserable, something that's going to depress you and make you upset all the time. Sometimes, you know, you hear the stories, God, don't call me to be a missionary to Africa or whatever it may be. You know, we have this idea that God God has something negative or bad for us, but it's going to bring you joy. Obviously, what are you hearing from God? And then finally, who do you admire? You admire the great kids worker. You admire the person, the, the, the great Christian author. Or you admire the, you know, this, that, or the, the, these different people. The people you think, wow, I wish I could be like that. Maybe that's God's, part of God's calling you to that, that area. So where are the ingredients? I'm going to break it down and give you some ingredients that I found that helped us to see this dream of a church <clears throat> it was a pretty sad situation uh, a few years ago, become a reality, become a, a, a life-giving, um, transformative type of place. Number one is faith. And I said to, that I put down there, faith is the antidote of fear. Like I said, we were sent to England. Only 3% of people go to church. So uh, it's not like, you know, we can just do church better than the guy down the street and then, you know, take people from there. I mean, uh, many people with anti-Christian bias, many people have been hurt in church. Some of the worst stories I heard about, uh, uh, you know, uh, church and stuff came from different churches in England. And there was a lot of fear involved. Let me be totally honest with you. There was faith and there was fear. I really believe that God's created us in such a way that we can hold two opposite truths at the same time, okay? I believe that it's possible for us to completely trust and have faith in God and at the same time be somewhat fearful, be somewhat worried, somewhat anxious about the situation. And, um, you know, some people may may disagree with that, but that's the way, that's my experience, And my experience is that God is okay with that. God's big enough to handle, yeah, God, I believe in you. Uh, You know, just look at the Bible. Just look at people like like Peter. He believed in Jesus. He's the first one to confess that Jesus, you know, was the Messiah, and yet he disowned him. Go to the Old Testament. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, all those heroes of the faith that he listed in Hebrews. Almost every one of them, there's an element of fear and faith at the same time. Isaiah says in, verse, in chapter uh, 41, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. Now fear can definitely keep us from our dreams. And it can sometimes, uh, we can say, well, I'm, I'm a little bit fearful and so God can't use me. Absolutely not true. You can go to God with your fears. You can say, God, I'm trying my best to trust you. I really am. But I've got this fear. And God say, okay, let's take one step at a time. Secondly, what I found about uh, planting this church and seeing God move is endurance. And I put there, an elephant makes many snacks, okay? You ever heard this saying? Uh, How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? One step at a time. There were many Sundays that I stood at, in our little church building, and uh, we had five members and our family, and I just prayed that more than 10 people would be there. I prayed that nobody was sick, that nobody had anything else to do, and that they would all show up to church. And some Sundays they did, and some Sundays they didn't. And I remember I would sit down, I would get in the car with my family and think to myself, this is never going to happen. 
what am I doing here? There are eight people at church today, and you know, five of them were my family. But you know what I did on Monday? I got up, I took a shower, I went into church, and I prepared next week's sermon. And I believed that God was going to move and he was going to do something. And one bite at a time, one person at a time, God called them in and he brought them in and we saw lives transformed and changed. How are you going to see your vision and your dream, what God's called you to do, take place? One step at a time, one bite at a time. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. I don't know if you've read that, but in that book, he talks about the 10,000-hour rule. And his, his thesis or his idea is it takes 10,000 hours of dedicated practice to become an expert at anything. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I would like to do. I would love to be, play the piano like the worship leader did, to be a concert pianist. But when I stop and think 10,000 hours, I say, I don't got the time for that, you know? There are all kinds of things that I would love to be an expert at, but I have to weigh and value, do I have the 10,000 hours to really put into that? And some things I do, and some things I decide that I don't. Endurance, to make it to 10,000 hours. If you're going to see God's dream happen for you, it's going to take that kind of endurance. The next one is resilience. And the art of the bounce back. In Corinthians, Paul talked about his ministry and his dream and his life uh, to spread the gospel all, all over the, the Roman world. He said, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Resilience. Resilience in the face of mistakes. One of the big things we're going to be doing as we, as we mentor and train new church planters a large part of what I'm going to have to say is, look at the mistake that I made. Look at the, the error that I, you know, some of it, you know, wasn't paying attention or, what, you know, whatever. British people are different than Americans and all of the rest of it. But I had to come back from all those. And I'm honestly, just to be transparent with you, I'm one of those people that when I make a mistake or a failure or shortcoming, I just like to heap it on my, I just like to heap it on, oh man, you know, you're just, you know, the guilt and shame and all that kind of stuff. And I really had to work through that. I know there's a lot of people in that same situation and it's, it's, it's very easy. And I think a lot of people have lost their dream because they've had a failure along the way and they've given up. Well, see, I tried and it didn't work. The art of the bounce back. I think for somebody here, maybe somebody watching online or one of the other sites, it's time for you to bounce back. It's time for you to say, yep, I made a mistake. I had a failure. But that doesn't define me. God in his dream and his vision, God defines me. And he'll help you to bounce back. Growth. Here's something about growth we all need to know. It's not always up and to the right. You know, you look at the, you look at the chart and it just phew, skyrockets. I show you those pictures and the growth of the church along the way. And it's like, oh, look at, you know, look at the missionary. He just, he went from, from victory to victory. It's just every week, just up and up and up. It wasn't that way. We had failures. We had setbacks. We had people that liked our church. We had people that didn't like our church. And they let me know. <laughs> It's not always up and to the right. So this is a hard truth for, for, for all of us to kind of absorb and to swallow is that, is that God may give you this dreaming, may give you this vision, 
And he may give you the failures along the way. That's, that may be a part of it. Actually, I don't say maybe. It is a part of it. It will be a part of it. The failures will be a part of it. It always won't be growth, 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 one week on to the next. Sacrifices. Now, this is where it gets ugly. I leave these to the end, you know. The sacrifices. If you're going to accomplish God's dream for you, there's going to be sacrifices. There will be things that God will ask you to give up. There will be areas of your life, if you want to accomplish what God wants you to do, there will be areas of sacrifice. I talked about the 10,000 hours. That's a big sacrifice, a big sacrifice of time. So there'll be sacrifice. There'll be things that God will ask you to give up, and there'll be things that God asks you to take on. And some of those weights, some of those things will be heavy. Some of them might not be all that light. One of the weights that we had to take on from planting this church is we had to say goodbye to two of our kids and send them back to America off to college. Five, six time zones away. That was a difficult way. That was a choice that we had to make. Whether you know, God gave us this dream, he also gave us our kids weighing the balances. That was something we had to give up. The idea of being with our kids during all their good and bad moments in college and then getting married and starting their life. It was a sacrifice. And one we didn't think about when they were eight and 10 years old when we went there, but became a reality when they were 18, 19, 20 years old. So the sacrifice will be there. And there are, there are people, and just blatantly honest, that will say, God's given me this dream, but the sacrifice and what he's asking for me is too much. And we'll let God deal with that and how he handles that. But it is a reality. And so we need to weigh those things. Jesus said, before you build a tower or before you go off to war, you need to measure whether or not you're going to be able to win, whether you have enough money to, to build the tower. And so that's a part of the equation when we think about God's dream and God's vision for us. And then finally, focus and dealing with distractions. Proverbs 4 gives us very good advice. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. There were multiple times when we could have gotten off track of church planting, could have gone off and done, some, done something else. But we had to stay focused. There were multiple times when people wanted us to change the vision of our church, change the name of our church, change our focus. You need to do this or do that or do the other thing. And some of those things were really, really good. They were really quality things that we could have done. But we had to remain focused. In this world of distractions, there's going to be things that try to pull you away from God's vision for you. People will see and notice as you begin to fulfill God's dream for you. They'll see, they'll see that, wow, this person is talented. They're successful. They're really a quality person. They can get things done. God's really anointed them or moving in their life. And they'll say, hey, why don't you come over and help me? Why don't you come over and, you know, I can see really, you're, you're, you're really seeing things happen. You can come over and you can be a part of my thing. Or why don't you try this or that? Stay focused on God's dream for you and his vision and his plan. I'll tell you, finish up with a little story here. 
very, very early days on in our church, just a handful of people still preaching away on a Sunday morning, and a lady walks in the back of the church, an elderly lady, sits down and just starts weeping and crying. Very noticeable. You know, I'm thinking, what's going on here? You know, what have I said? Um, but after church, I came over, and I said, hey, how are you? Who are you? You know, how can we help you? What's going on? And she told me that she used to go to that church in that building 20 years ago, and something had happened, some hurt or pain, someone had done something, and she had left the church, and she vowed, she swore she would never go to church again, and she had kept that promise for 20 years. But as she was driving by that morning, something or someone told her, come into church. So she pulled in, sat down, and the message she heard that morning was the story of the prodigal son, of how... Uh, the young man had gone off, taken his father's inheritance, lived a life of sin, wasted, wasted all of that, and had come back broken. And how the father saw him from a distance that came running and welcomed him with open arms. And she said, that's me this morning. And I didn't know what kind of reception I would receive, but she said that message spoke to me. And so she's she, came, she was there after that every Sunday. Her husband came shortly after. 87 years old. We baptized the 87-year-old. Uh, I think he's the oldest person I've ever baptized. Um, but uh, gave their life back to the Lord and, and is serving God today. And the reason I tell you that story is that I, that's what I believe God wants to do all across Europe. And we're praying for revival to take place. But really, that's a picture of, uh, of Europe. Uh, the First World War, the Second World War had a massive negative effect on the church in England. The church abuse and, and different things that have happened in, in the churches across Europe have had a massive effect. And people have said, never again. But we believe that God can bring them back in a supernatural way. Just like he did with that lady. And so we're just asking you to pray. That's our dream. That's our dream that we go back to start another church where people can find hope and find Jesus again. That's our dream. That's our vision. And we just thank you so much for being with us on this journey and helping us.